people want to pretend like if you take the guns away or whatever else that it's just going to be all fine and dandy or anything like it doesn't have to be that it just like if you are going to like there should be world peace there will never be world peace ever i agree ever yeah because there will always be somebody out there who wants what you have you can't fix this like that right so we should at least be able to protect ourselves in that regard so and that means that the narrative is the same way dude the man with the pen writes the story dude you are now entering a new paradigm so here is my issue I wanted to find the answers to life's biggest questions. Things like, how do I become happy and live with purpose? How do I make more money doing what I love? And what does it mean to be truly successful in all areas of life? My name is Josh Forty, at Josh Forty on Instagram, and I ask life's biggest questions and share the answers with you. My goal is to help you find purpose, happiness, and open your mind to new realms of possibility by helping you think differently about everything you do, know, and understand. On this podcast, we think different, we dream bigger, and we live in a world without limits. This is a new paradigm. Welcome to the Think Different Theory. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Think a Different Theory. My name is Josh Forty, and um, at the time of recording this, guys, we are 26 days away. 26 days, and by the time this gets released, it'll probably be like two weeks away from going on the world trip. So that is coming up quickly for those of you that don't know. I think most of the listeners here probably know that. We're getting ready to go. Four months around the world. We're starting down in Orlando. Um, and then we're going on a cruise, the Modern Profits cruise with Ross Williams and then Cody Near, JR, all, all sorts of fun people are going to be there. So we're getting ready, um, which is crazy just because 26 days left. I haven't began to pack. I haven't even thought about what I'm going to do with my stuff. Um, and I've got to figure all that out. And then actually my guest is going to probably laugh at this. I made a mistake yesterday. Uh, I, I made an offer, uh, released an ebook, but, uh, it's called the ultimate sales framework. It's awesome. And, uh, on the upsell of that offer, there was a, a strategy session. You could get on the phone with me and I forgot to set the limiters of how many, um, calls I was allowed to take in a day. And so the next like three days, I have like back to back to back, like nine or 10 hour call days. And so I'm just like, no. So anyway, it'll be good. I'm super excited for it. Those will all be done by the time this is out. But um, anyway, busy, busy stuff. But all that being said, it is an interview day. And my next guest, I'm very, I'm actually really looking forward to this guy. And um, I've met him. We met down at James Smiley event was the first time I think we met, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, met down there. You can just tell, like, you might even just heard it in his voice there. This is a Southern boy. He lives in Texas. He, um, he, the, the thing that I like about him, um, is Corey, he's a man of his word and he lives accordingly. And I think that no matter who you are in that aspect, no matter what you believe, um, I think that that's respectable, but he happens to have a lot of the same, uh, religious and political beliefs as I do, but maybe we go about um, executing in a little bit of a different way, I think. And so I'm looking forward to chit-chatting. He's from Texas. He's ridden bulls, jumped out of airplanes. He's the founder of Wisdom and Grit, right? Yep. Wisdom and Grit. I think there's a Facebook group there. We'll link it down below, and I'm sure we'll talk about that. Corey Huddleston, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Josh. I appreciate it, man. Uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. Yeah. So, I, I'm super excited about it. I've watched some of your stuff and I know you're passionate about life and politics and business and all those things. So we, we definitely resonate there well and uh, looking forward to kind of diving into that a little bit more. So, 
Yeah, I think that's a good place to start. We'll get into your backstory, I think, too, because I think that's important, you know, for context for those people sure. that might not know uh, who you are. Because, um, like, a lot of the people that we bring on here do have pretty large audiences or are known in, in some aspect or another. Um, and I think you're known in your space, but maybe not by some of the listeners here. So we'll get into that. But but I think, first off, I want to kick it off with the whole politics, business, religious side of things. Because I think that I grew up very religious. Um, Christian and incredibly conservative aspect of that, especially when I was young. And um, yeah. I, I don't agree necessarily with everything that you know was taught growing up or how we lived necessarily, but I do have a, a, a respect for that, I would say, um, for my parents and what they did and how they lived. And um, they were very much, they lived exactly how they believed. There was no hypocrisy and like, hey, believe and say one thing and then live a different way. And so I grew up that way. And then my older brother, before he passed away, was incredibly political, um, was very involved in politics. I've met uh, Mike Pence before he, when he was the governor of Indiana. So like, I mean, you know, got to meet him. Cool. He's obviously the vice president now and a lot of other major political senators and congressmen. So religion and politics is something that stems from my upbringing. And then, of course, I just have the entrepreneurial bug. And uh, I feel like a lot of people are just maybe uh, afraid to mix two or even all three of those. Oh, no, absolutely. Uh, there's a lot of times that because, I mean, if you follow me for any length of time, I get pretty political on my Facebook page sometimes, probably more so than I should. Yeah. But you know, what, you know what's funny, man, is like I'll be out uh, kind of talking and you know, I've got a pretty broad network, a lot of uh, influencers, not so much always in the social media space, although right, like, right. like, you know, power players in the Dallas-Fort Worth market or whatever else. And whenever I run across them personally, they're always shaking my hand and like whispering in my ear that they love my post. Yeah. <laughs> they, won't, they will never engage. And I'm like, I mean, I'm sitting out there thinking I'm speaking to the wall, you know, a lot of times, but it's, it's kind of funny how that works. And, yeah. Well, how did you, so like, because yeah. you're not afraid to mix exactly those three things politics business uh, religion yeah. right which I, I don't know i feel like that sums up a lot of like 90 outside of relationships which i think is the the last kind of final pillar there business money finance right uh business money finance uh religion and politics seem to be like three of the four big huge staples of our society yet nobody wants to mix them and i i like appreciate the fact that you are willing to. So like, how did that come about? Like, have you always been that way? Or did you just get fed up one day and then decide to start posting about it? Like, how did that the mix of those three come about? You know, uh, that's a good question. I think for me, it was more, I'd kind of been involved in politics to some degree. Uh, but for me, the real like kind of the the axe hit the, the root of the stump, right? Whenever my son was born, and uh, he's seven years old now. And I remember um, I was walking my dog, man. I have a 80 or I had an 85 pound American bulldog named Amadeus and he would never use the bathroom in my yard. So I'd have to walk him twice a day all the time. I know that sounds weird, but it was very frustrating. But at the same time, dude, I had so much time to think. So it was actually a blessing in disguise. And, uh, I remember, um, my son, you know, he was about to be born and I'm walking my dog and I'm sitting there going like, God, like, what am I? I was talking to God in that particular instance and like, I'm about to bring this kid into the world. I have no idea what the future looks like. I was in my mind. I'm sitting there going like, this is everything the world is like, I don't know how to prepare him for this. I was scared and all this kind of stuff. And I really felt like God was, he, he, he's like, Corey, shut up. Like I didn't bring you, I didn't, I didn't give you uh, this child 
to come in here and, and, you know, be like subject to the problem. I I gave him to you so that you could raise him to be a part of the solution, dude. And Mm. from that moment on, dude, I realized like it it was my duty to not only raise him and now my daughter in, in a way to where they were equipped to handle the future and to be a part of the solution, but also for me to be the example in that. I didn't want to just be a dad sitting there saying, Hey, go do this or go do that. You know? And, and, um, for me, it's important to lead by example where I can, you know, I'm still human, you know? So like I make mistakes all the time, but you know, I, I, uh, constantly pushing into the fray, man. I love testing limits to see how far they'll go. And the more, you know, this being in marketing or being in business or anything else, the more you recognize that the truth to some degree is, what somebody said it was a long time ago. Most of what we exist in, well, pretty much all of what we exist in to some degree started in somebody's imagination first. So we're literally just pawns to somebody else's manifestation of their imagination. So I'm always constantly trying to be like, oh man, okay, how can I like come in here and put it, you know, choreize it or whatever, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, Yeah, well, I think that that's so interesting because like, you know, I'm, I'm religious, right? I, I, yeah. I would, I am, very much a Christian and I very much believe that the Bible, you know, in my experience right now is the way, the truth and life. I believe in the God of the Bible. Right. Um, sure. but, uh, you know, it's, it's always an interesting question to me that, you know, you, I'm sure you know who Glenn Beck is, yep. uh, very Mormon. Right. And yeah. you know who Ben Shapiro is, uh, Jew Judaism, uh, and you know, Russell Brunson's Mormon and yeah. Robbie Zacharias. Are you familiar with him? Yep. Christian apologist, one of my favorite Christian apologists of all time. I'm like, they're right there. Let's take Russell out of it. He's more, you know, business, whatever, but I know he's Mormon. But like th- those three people, Glenn Beck, uh, Ben Shapiro, and uh, Robbie Zacharias are probably three of the most intelligent, smart human beings that I've listened to, right? Like they are yep. not dumb and they are incredibly well-educated and incredibly well-studied. And they believe three very core different things, right? Like, Yes, they all believe in God. But like, I mean, you look at Ben Shapiro and like Judaism, like uh, the God, like he doesn't even believe that Jesus was, you know, the God, right? Like that's, that's crazy, right? Like that's a huge radical difference. But yet we all, all three of them, I would say, live in a similar fashion in the sense that they're all incredibly disciplined, that they are all very sold out for what it is that they believe in. I mean, Ben Shapiro is probably the most political of them, even probably more so than Glenn Beck um, when it comes to you know everything. But like even him, like every Saturday, you know, until the sun goes down, he's off of social media. He wears, I forget what it's called, like on, on his head or whatever. But yeah, yeah, like very, very this. And so what's interesting to me is that like, we really are just kind of, you know, let's, let's assume that God of the Bible is, you know, correct. 2,000 years after Christ has died, we're just kind of sitting here trying to figure it all out, living in a world that was designed by somebody else, reading from one of three or four or five or six different books that essentially tell us what we think is the creation of the universe and trying to figure the whole thing out. And, you know, for some people, I feel like that goes and makes them just want to be like, oh, there's no God and, you know, science. But I think any intelligent human being would understand um, that. I think, and maybe this is where you and I would strongly agree. I think you have to be pretty much an idiot to, to assume that there's not a God of some sort, right? Yeah. Like, I, 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 it's really hard for me to fathom that there's not a, some intelligent creator of some sort out there. But like, I think that stems more from uh guilt or shame or some some kind of a wound earlier in life right because 
and I'm uh, sorry to interrupt you there, no, but no, I, on that particular note, um, I don't know if it's that they're an idiot so much. It's that uh, people have been manipulated and they haven't, you know, this goes back to like now wisdom and grit on that side, because, you know, when you, you've got a lack of, of discipleship and a lack of teaching generationally, because you were, you just hit that nail on the head from 2000 years ago. You would think like, I used to think about this when I was a kid and I'd be peeing, right? And you got all over the place or whatever. <laughs> and this is a funny analogy, but like, right. it's it's like, dude, how I pee every single day. How come I can't just be in a straight line and be like perfect target shooter every single time? Right, <laughs> right. But it's like, you know, like, and it's like life is the same way, right? I mean, yeah. whenever we're uh, going through it, like we have such a lack of of leg uh, legacy, dude, you know, in so many ways. And the discipleship component, mentorship, whatever you want to call it, but like generationally passing down knowledge that we've learned and then having the wisdom also from the youthful perspective to be able to embrace that and then utilize it in a way and understanding the value of keeping passing it down. Can that be taught? I don't know, but that's what I'm trying to figure out with my son right now. And then with these other men. And, and I agree. And I a hundred percent agree about the, the wound of some sort or, or yeah. hurt somewhere, because I think that when you study human psychology, you really do start to understand that. And I think that, you know, for those people that might not, they might be like, Corey, what are you talking about? I'm not an atheist because I was hurt. But I think that, that yeah. there's a lot of truth to that. My point with all that, and I'm curious your thoughts on this is like, okay, we're all trying to figure it out, right? I'm trying to figure it out. Like, I'll, I'm gonna be honest with you. I, I'm talking a lot here at the beginning because I am going to turn it over to you. I kind of want to bring some context around like everything, but like my brother dying, dude, like really messed me up. And like, I didn't, I didn't quite fully understand or expect what it did. Right. Like yeah. you hear about people losing loved ones and you hear about people losing parents. And like, I've lost my, you know, my, my, my mom's dad passed away when I was pretty young, but like older. Right. Like my yeah. brother is 29 years old, had a, a, a five-year-old son and a baby on the way. And like, um, like, that just jacks with you so much. And so like, I am at peace with the fact that he's gone and like the fact that I'm going to see him again. Like, I firmly believe that. There's no doubt in my mind about that. No. But the repercussions of expansion of the mind or just awareness or priority setting or like things like that, like it really, really messes with you. And like, like my whole life up until that point, I identified and was through and through an entrepreneur. Like that is the only thing that mattered. Building businesses and making money was the only driving factor in my life. I really had no desire to travel. I had no desire to really go out and do pretty much anything else. Like it's not that I thought they were bad. I just didn't have any desire to do it. Right. And then all of a sudden that happened and everything changed. And I think one of the core biggest things that changed for me was this, this search for truth. And like, I've always wanted to know truth, but like this search of like, what is really, really true? Because like my brother was big on that. And I was like, you know, I grew up in America as a white male, which I'm sure we're going to get into, which I mean, say what you will about it. There is something to be said that life is probably a little easier for a white male in modern day era than say, traditional color people back 100 years ago or 200 years ago, whatever. Like, we live in a pretty privileged time. And I don't even say if you're white, just in general, but like, especially this. And so I'm like, I take my Christianity. And I'm like, well, this is this seems to fit the mold for me really well, right? Like in what I believe in growing up. But how do I know that that's true? And so I guess my question for you is, uh, is like, okay, I look at the Glenn Becks, 
and the Ben Shapiro's and the Ravi Zacharias of the world who all believe something very different, who are all very, very well educated. And I could probably defend any one of their arguments. How do you determine what you live by and how do you determine what's right and wrong and what you're going to believe? Great question. Um, for me, man, it's a, uh, it has a lot to do with like you, I'm an extremely curious human being, man. And I have been my whole life, except for me, you, you've probably had like good on paper kind of scenarios. Like for me, dude, I, I, uh, my parents divorced when I was 17 years old. Um, I, I had pretty much failed my way through school. I didn't graduate at all. Like I, I have a GED that I finally went back and got, I don't have any college. Um, by, you know, the world's standard of success, I wouldn't be what's considered, you know, somebody who would have gone on to become successful. Um, I've taken, I'm, I've made a lot of mistakes personally, as far as taking stupid risks. I had to learn a lot of stuff the hard way. I've spent, you know, I, whenever I was in my twenties, I got arrested for DWIs and stuff. I had to spend a month and a half in jail, you know, like a, a lot of stuff that just over time, like, dude, in the beginning of my life, I had a lot of stuff going on and, you know, and whenever my parents got divorced, I was out on my own at 17 years old, dude. You know, so I was trying to figure life out. I was trying to pay for an apartment with a really crappy job. You know, <laughs> I mean, all the things that go along there. And I never made excuses about it. I wasn't sitting there thinking like, oh, poor me or anything like that. But um, I've been down that road where I've seen dark. You know what I'm saying? And I still do from time to time because I, I take risks in life. I, I push hard into things. I'm always trying to get out there. And it was at a point in my life where I had, I realized I had harbored a lot of unforgiveness, like towards, you know, like my dad and different people like that, you know, over time that I realized that forgiving was the best thing that I could do. And when I did that, I experienced something that I had never understood ever in my life before, which was fully like at peace hmm. with life, with my existence and everything else, which I think a lot of people don't know what that feels like. And, you know, it was interesting because I was so convinced that what I was doing was the right way, uh, going out and partying all the time. And, you know, I grew up because of whatever situation, you know, I worked construction. So, you know, to me, that was what it meant to be a man was go out, work hard. And there are great things about those things, by the way, but we would take our paychecks on Fridays and go to the strip club and get wasted, you know, and have it blown by the end of the weekend. And that was what I believed being a man was. And I didn't know any different, you know, I mean, I really didn't. And I look back at that and uh, for me, like seeing, you know, what can be kind of cradled as true in life whenever we don't really know the opposite of that can set us on a, on a path of kind of trying to figure out who we are if we're actually looking for it. Cause you get knocked around a lot when you're doing the wrong things, except we don't have the wisdom to understand that it's time to kind of correct course. We just kind of roll through it. And man, I moved down here uh, to the Dallas Fort Worth area. I was originally from the Panhandle area, and uh, you know, I saw a lot of my buddies getting their girlfriends pregnant and stuff like that up in Amarillo. You know, we were riding bulls and doing all that stuff up there, and that was kind of our existence. And when I moved down here, man, it was like I was separated from that. And it, there was a point of transition that kind of took place, and it was a long road. But as time went on. I went to go work in this warehouse and there was a dude that worked in there. And he, I was working nights, five at night till five in the morning, six to seven days a week. And he would come and talk to me and he had just given his life to Christ. And I, I hadn't at that time I was, you know, smoking weed, drinking all the time. I was doing a lot of crazy stuff. And, uh, he would always come down and talk to me and he'd be telling me about, 
you know, just talking to me like a friend and all this kind of stuff. And I really like, I think the friends I had prior to that were like party buddies, you know what I'm saying? So you don't really have people that you can talk to um, openly about life or just problems in general. It was always kind of just surface level, like laugh it up, drink some beers and party around and all this. Right, right. But that was the first time I had somebody where I was actually able to have real conversations. And I was, I used to make fun of him because he gave away like all of his Pink Floyd CDs and records. And I was, and I was like, what is wrong with you, dude? Like he joined a cult or something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then I began to like, he invited me to church and I'd be like, yeah, right. And one day I think I did show up to church because inside of myself, I was completely empty, dude. I I mean, I was in my mid twenties, man. And, uh, I remember going to church and I had stayed up that night drinking. So I showed up to his church and I was hung over. <laughs> I had long hair, longer hair back then, you know, and like I'm sitting in there and the whole time I feel like everybody's looking at me thinking that I didn't belong there because right. I didn't believe I belonged in there, you know, in the first place. And but, dude, it was a moment like that where he invited me with his family to come. And then after I left, you know, he's running out. He's got these two little kids and they're like, I love you, Corey. And like walking off, dude. And I was like, dude. And they invited me over to their family's house to have lunch. And I, for the first time, dude, I felt alive to any degree in that moment. And I realized that there was something to this, you know? And like, so this time it wasn't, I didn't have that moment where it was like this, hallelujah, you know, right, like, right, like right. The, the sky. Um, but, you know, over time I realized, dude, like there was more to it than I ever gave it credit for. And it was all because of how I saw it, you know, and I didn't grow up in church at all. I, I wasn't oh, really? like, introduced to like church. I, I grew up hearing that Christians were Bible thumpers and all that. Like that was now my mom's a, a solid Christian, you know, and things like that. But um, that wasn't my youth at all. So hmm. for me, there was a huge, massive shift of like, oh, if I go become a Christian, I'm going to be a Bible thumper and all this. Yeah, that's stuff. a huge identity shift. Totally. Yeah. So it took a while, but I started realizing like there was so much wisdom in all of it. And over time, I began to see how it transformed people's lives, including my own. And dude, I mean, I would just experience things that I can't really explain in this little podcast of just how powerful understanding who I was and who God says that I am. When you truly begin to understand the gospel and understand the brilliance of it, and then you really begin to see because a lot of life, man, at least for me, and I'm sure for you, is about exposure to lots of different things and being able to pull from all of that and then realize, like, you have data points, right, that you can actually learn from. I wouldn't expect anybody to just believe anything at face value unless they've gone out and actually lived anyway. Because then what are the, how do they know? What do they know? I mean, unless it's somebody you can trust, like with my son and my daughter. I would hope that they would trust me, you know, because of the way that I live and right. I love them and care for them. But I also, you know, I know that they're going to have to walk through their own because I don't ever want them to be what I think is pervasive in the church now, which is weakness. It's this whole showboaty, like I'm perfect on the outside and you're nothing but a house of cards on the inside a lot of times because they refuse to. It, it's more about being seen as a Christian than actually being one. Yeah. And I think that's why people have such a, an adverse re, re reaction to Christianity right now is because we've got a lot of that going on. Yeah, I think, I think that's huge. Um, I, I've been on record to say probably maybe even a little too carelessly at times, but I'll, you know, I'll stand by it that like, I hate organized religion for that reason. Yeah. Um, organized religion turned me off like a little bit of a backstory. So I have three tattoos. 
and um, I dropped out of college. And when I was in like my previous church back where I lived, just in uh, Indiana, um, my like my best friend in the world at that time, like the the person that I trusted most, or whatever. Uh, his whole family was like doctors and, you know, and, and we've made up since this point or whatever. So like he might listen to this or whatever. We're cool. But like, um, like his whole family, you know, doctors, college degree, you know, pretty, pretty straight and narrow or whatever. The, the, the church that I went to before that pretty anti-tattoo or like things like that. And I was this rebel kid, right? I grew up super, super conservative. I saw my parents who I love very, very, very dearly, like going through a lot of struggles and things like that. And like, just be like, just trust God, just trust God. And like looking back, like I have incredible respect for the fact that they were able to do that. But like at the time I like didn't get it. And so I would go to church and I'd be made fun of for dropping out of college. And I was like literally told in front of my, like I used to teach Sunday school to fifth and sixth grade boys. And like my best friend was like, you know, kids, you can go and stay in school and become an educated doctor like me, or you can drop out and become like Josh, right? Like this was like my best friend, right? Like I was like, this is crazy. And so like, all of that like just totally turned me off to the church and like really was like, no, I'm out, I'm done. And I didn't go to church for like a couple of years. And like, I, I mean, I was totally against it. And like, I didn't give up on my relationship with God. Like I always knew that God was a thing. And like, I had a relationship with him to a certain extent. I mean, I think it got put on the back burner for a while, but it was literally because like I got criticized for having tattoos and I got criticized for like trying to figure out life and like going out there and being like, I don't want to be like, I don't want to go to college. I don't want to like do these things. And people like just, you know, that, and it was like over the stupidest stuff. And I feel like that's how most people see organized religion is this super closed off set of laws and rules that if you don't do, you're going to hell. And if you do do them, you get to go to heaven and there's not love and there's not, you know, anything like that. And it wasn't until like similar, maybe not quite to the extent, you know, of your story or whatever, but like, I don't know, it was probably a year ago or so. Like I, yeah, a year, year and a half ago, this was before, you know, slightly before my brother died, when I kind of like got my life back together and I was like, all right, like I'm going to go back to church and I'm going to go and do that. And like the love that I felt from the new church that I felt like, I was like, whoa, I feel like this might, this connection and this experience is how it's supposed to be. But because we have so many Christians out there that are like, screw everyone, right? Like, if you don't believe this, you're going to hell. And I see this a lot in the political realm, too, of like, if you're a Democrat, how dare you? If you support gay marriage, how, like, how dare you? Uh, you know what I mean? Like, you're oh. into hell and, and whatnot. And so I, I feel like there's just this huge lack of, like, love and sympathy. And why, like, we do need to stand up and have morals. I get it. I feel like there needs to be a whole lot more love and understanding that people are going through different things than you, like than you are, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think you're hitting on something that's a really tricky situation, right? Because you, you know, as well as I do from a marketing perspective, dude, the guy that holds the narrative holds the world. Right. I mean, like AKA Donald Trump, like, holy I know, man. <laughs> so like, this is the big thing, man, because it's, I, I know how I'm perceived online. A lot of times I've had a guy, Oh, you're super dogmatic and all this kind of stuff. But the reality is I'm not, I, I'm actually extremely curious. I love having conversations with people that differ from me as long as they have their own thoughts. If they're just going to repeat things they've seen on CNN, I'll obliterate them. Like, they right, have right. But, uh, and that's the big problem, right? Is like, I think it's the spirit behind a lot of what I'm seeing, you know, at least for me. And I'm actually, I've pulled back a lot from a political side because, um, you know, as you 
get more engaged and stuff. And I'm not just active on social media. Like to me, that's just an, you know, an additional part of it. Like I'm highly involved in local and state politics. And I even know people at the national level. So like I've been plugged in for years and I have a lot of connections in that space. Like one of my best friends is running for us Congress right now. I've got another good friend that she's running for us Congress for the state of Texas, you know? Uh, so when I look at those things, I've got connections in that space and I, I get uh, information as close to the source as humanly possible. Right. So I don't um, I don't watch the news at all. Like, I, I didn't, I, to be honest with you, I didn't even know about the hurricane or whatever that went through Houston or the, <laughs> the rain and all that until like a day ago. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, that's how oblivious I am to a lot of that stuff because I'm engaged in real life or I try to be, you know. And I think when you have conversations with people about stuff, the reason it's so irritating and I think people go for the throat is two reasons. One is they do it because they don't really believe what they're saying in the first place. And they, they understand that if you push somebody quick and hard enough back on their heels, there's a good chance they're not going to respond back and they're just going to go on their merry little way. That doesn't always work, but that's a good tactic, right? If you're yeah. trying to get your point across. Uh, the other thing is, is that um, they're just saying things because it makes them feel heard and they don't really know what the hell they're talking about at all anyway. And yeah. I see that so often because uh, like down here, we had uh, an issue in Irving at one point. I don't, you probably heard about it, but the clock boy thing, it was where this kid brought a clock to school. It was in a little briefcase looking thing and it had a little electric timer with some wires and all that. And they got scared about it and called in the bomb squad and all this. I mean, it looked like a bomb, you know, and the kid just happened to be from, you know, Persian and, and, and kind of, so uh, it caused a stir like nationally, probably globally even. Uh, and my friend was the mayor. She's the one that's running for Congress now, but at the time, and I was in this coffee shop, you know, here locally and I was talking with this guy and we got into the conversation and he just brought that up for some reason. At the time it was relevant because it had just happened. Right. Right. And, uh, he's talking about all this stuff and I'm like, you're just not like your facts are not there, bro. You know? And, and he's like, Oh yeah, they are. And I was like, all right, hold on a second. And I whip out my phone and I called up the mayor. Right. Cause she's a friend of mine. And I brought it up and I was like, hey, so this and that. And I confirmed with her the facts. And she goes, well, here's what happened. Da, 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 da. And I had her on speakerphone with him sitting right there. And he's just sitting there like dumbfounded with the fact that I just called him out on his stuff. And he changed his tune and we ended up being friends after the fact. But it was interesting to me how dead set he was on believing what he said he was going to believe uh, or what he was trying to, to parrot out there until the truth came you know what i'm saying and so i think that's the big thing it's like it comes off as not loving but everything comes off as not loving these days dude you can't say anything without somebody getting offended you know and so like i guess like what i don't know if you know the solution to that right because i think if we all you know we all knew the solution maybe the world would be different but like one of the things that i struggle with is like um social media and i'm actually really excited to talk about this with you because like you'll understand this Social media, I know how to get attention, right? And like, I've grown 5 million followers on, on the, inter the internet. Like, it's, it's essentially who's ever the most polarizing, right? Like, obviously, there's more, more, more or less. But like, yeah. if you want to keep a re relevancy on you, you've got to make bold statements. You've got to be re like relevant. Or you just have to be Sam Ovens, right? And like, just 
blow everybody out of the water with results, right? Like, yeah. but in a political realm, in a in a social environment, it, it's a lot of opinion based things. If yeah. I want my voice to be heard, I can't be like, let's see all sides of the aisle, right? Like, let's go back and forth. I got to be like, boom, like, ah, right? Yeah. And so like, Trump is like the exception to the rule, just say his name and you're polarizing. But like, for the most part, like you, you do have to do that. And so like, I look at some of the things that people are saying and I struggle because like you in real life, like I'm an empath, dude. Like if I see you hurting, I will do ridiculous things to help people out of pain. Like I, like my heart breaks when I'm walking through Chicago and I love Chicago. It's probably my favorite city in America. And like, I see all the homeless people and I just want to give them all my money. Right. I just want to be like, it's all right. Like, dude, you're hurting. But at the same time, I'm like, just wake up and have personal responsibility. Right. But like the more I grow, the more I realize like the reason that that person is homeless more than likely is due to past hurt. Right. Like more than likely is due to something outside of their control. Now, granted, they have the personal responsibility to to go and change that. But like you, when you said like, hey, I would go, I'd take my paycheck, I'd go to the strip club, like that was my reality. I didn't know any different, right? Like, I feel like there's so many of those people that are in that and they look at you online and you meaning me, you, whoever, and it's like, you come across as this inconsiderate a-hole, right? Like this person that just wants to rip them apart. And you're like, no, I'm talking to my audience, right? Like, and me, I'm primarily talking to entrepreneurs and that that can go out there and change their life for the better. But like at the same time, like I believe certain things. But if I want to play the algorithm, if I want to be relevant, if I want to get followers, if I want to make money, like I've got to change my tone of voice a little bit to match that. Not that I'm changing my beliefs, but I'm simply stating it in a way that's going to get a response to have an actual conversation because like you just wouldn't do it. And so I struggle with it because I'm like, listen, I don't like everything that Donald Trump does. I don't like everything that like, you know, Obama did clearly, but there were things about Obama and I did not like Obama, right? Like I I had some huge, but like the dude was a presidential person, right? But if I had come out and say something like that, either A, it's going to get no engagement or B, it's going to, I'm going to get crucified by the other side, right? Like this. And I feel like there's this lose-lose scenario. And I feel like that unless I just double down on it, like, I feel like I used to be a a much more polarizing person when I was younger, right? And like, as I've grown, I've become less polarizing and focused more on business because that's what's, you know, allowed me to maintain this because I'm a, I don't know if afraid is the right word, but like I struggle religiously and like morally. I'm like, is it okay to alienate half the people that I'm following when in their world, what they're saying might be a relevant point, right? Like there are legitimately people out there that are struggling with things that I have absolutely no concept of fathoming. So like, how do you balance that? And like, what, like, what do you do? So are you familiar with Alexander the Great? I mean, I I know who he is. Yeah. Okay. So he grew up under his father as King Philip, right? And King Philip had basically conquered like all of Greece, you know, at one point. And so they were kind of going off, you know, or in that, that phase. And that was his, his whole goal was to conquer that whole area. Right. Right. Uh, Alexander the great ended up kind of becoming King, King Darius died. They don't know if he was attached to that or whatever else, but so he started going on this rampage and like conquering all the, the known world at the time, which he almost did, you know? 
uh, at the time. In that time, the Persians had more control. And I was watching a documentary on this, and they kind of act out stuff. I'm a very visual person. So for me, when I watch things, it helps give me context as to how it kind of probably went down, or at least gives me a concept so that right, I can right. pull it all together. And so there was a part inside of this documentary where King Darius, who was the Persian king at the time, you know, most powerful king in the world at that point in time. And Alexander the Great is going in and conquest and like taking over, you know, all of these different cities and all the different things from this guy. And uh, it was interesting because the way that the, the servant went up and told him, he's like, sir, he just conquered this other city and all this. And he's trying to figure out why he's coming after all this. Like, what is his motivation? Right. It's really great from a marketing standpoint when you study history, too, because you understand like human nature has never changed. It will right. always be the same. It's all the same. Yeah. And. Uh, it was interesting because how many times in life do you think that King Darius, like the most powerful man in the world, had to worry about somebody coming in and was ever worried enough to the point where he would personally remove himself from his throne to go out on the battlefield and go head to head? Probably none, hardly ever. You right, know? if ever, yeah. And the way that this was going, I was paying attention to this from a different perspective because I was like, dude, I bet you he was eating that up. I bet you he loved every second of it. He Because Alexander the Great was the protagonist, right? It was the guy that nobody else had the balls to be. And when you're at that level, you know it's lonely at the top, bro, right? Right. Because there's nobody's – like, and it's not that hard. I mean, I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's not that it's hard. It's not that complicated. Yeah, yeah. totally. It's not like um, you like you can't just put yourself out there and go really hard, go all in and be clear on what you're going to get. Well, this is what I kind of saw inside of King Darius is that he's sitting there going like, you know, while he had the concern and all this, he was also slightly amused that he had someone that was willing to play for keeps. You know what right, I'm saying? Right. So I, I think that you got to decide what level you're going to play at in life, dude. And this is what really it had to be for me because growing up the way that I told you that I did, I had massive insecurities. Like I was low self-esteem, all those things growing up. I mean, like I said, I failed all the way through school. And who knows why? I've always been a very visual dude. So most of the time throughout school, I was staring out the window, drawing and thinking about the future. That's all I ever did, you know, for the most yeah. part. Uh, now, looking back in the way that I had to overcome that in the years and the hard work, dude, and all the lessons I learned along the way and the sweat and the, everything, dude, uh, to get to where I'm at today. Looking back, I'm not going to play small, dude. I refuse to. No matter whose feelings are on the line, I don't care because, dude, at the end of the day, there's always going to be someone there who wants to get their feelings hurt because it makes them feel alive. Like, that's it what does. they know. So they have the victim mentality, and that's not the level I play at. So, really, I don't even want victims following me, dude. I want power players. I want people who are, who are going to go to battle one way or the other. You know, and this is what I think that people need to understand. Because when you got guys like Beto talking about taking your guns away or anything like that, dude, like, here's the reality. Come and get them, dude. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the freaking. Okay, okay. Let's not go there. That's the okay. next topic. That's the next topic. Because I, I Okay, really well, I'm just saying in general, yeah, yeah, like. Okay, yeah. Like, people want to pretend, like, if you take the guns away or whatever else, that it's just going to be all fine and dandy or anything. Like, it doesn't have to be that. It's just, like, if you are going to, like. There should be world peace. There will never be world peace. Ever. I agree. Ever. Yeah. I because agree. there will always be somebody out there who wants what you have. You yeah. can't fix this like that. Right. So we should at least be able to protect ourselves in that regard. So, and that means that the narrative is the same way, dude. The man with the pen writes the story, dude. 
So it's our job to control the pin at all costs, right? Because otherwise, we, if you let somebody else have the pin and they start writing their story, like that's the point. And maybe that's a scarcity mindset in an area I have to grow in. So, and let's, and let's talk about that because I, I don't know the answer to that. And this right. is probably the single greatest thing that I struggle with. Yeah. You and I have the ability to go out and control that pen. We do, right? Like, and I, I think a large majority of people in America do, right? Like, I, there, I think there's very few people in America that truly, truly don't have a choice, right? I think an overwhelming majority do. But the rest of the world doesn't. I mean, like, half, let's, say, let's say it's half, right? Let's say yeah. half the people in the world have the, the ability to go write, write the story and, and write the pen uh, uh, or grab the pen. And the other half don't. So like if our goal is to control that pen at all costs, right? And, and I'm not saying that that's a bad mentality to have. I'm not saying it's a good mentality to have. I'm trying to look at this objectively. I'm like, do we live like the world we live in here? Do we just accept the fact that there's different realities for all people and just try to do the best we can to control our own and the people that we're directly influencing? Or do we need to take into effect or into account that the fact that there are so many different realities and while one singular person is not going to change the whole world, like we're not Jesus Christ, right? Like we're not one single person, like chances are we're not all going to be Elon Musk, right? I mean, like I'm probably not either, but like, so like in that context though, I have a choice to go and say, I'm going to control the pen or I have a choice to basically be like, Hey, I'm going to go and you know, be a servant and just, you know, be a, the mother Teresa of our time, or I'm going to go be the, you know, the whatever Gandhi, or I'm going to go be the Donald Trump, or I'm going to go be this. So like, do we each have our own thing that we're supposed to do? Like, do you, like, for example, you want to go control the pen, maybe, and, and I'm not saying I don't, <laughs> pretty, <laughs> yeah. pretty driven, like I get it, but like hypothetically, right? Like you want to control the pen. I might not want to control the pen. I'm okay with you controlling the pen, but like, I'm like, yo, I want to focus on helping the homeless people. Like look at Matt Maddox right now, right? Like yeah. his big homeless push or whatever. Like do just different people have different things or like, should, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. how does that, like, how, what are your thoughts on that? Because I, I, my big thing and like how, how I tend to believe, but I don't know how to execute really well. And it's something that I'm searching for. It's part of the reason I'm going on this whole world trip is I'm like, I feel like certain people are called to lead certain people and other certain people are not called to lead certain people, but we should all be united around a common goal. But because of the internet and because your voice and my voice can be so freaking loud, like we're loud leaders, right? Like we are not afraid to piss people off. We're not. But at the same time, I look at that and I'm like, do I run the risk of being too polarizing, too I will control the pen at all costs that I'm going to alienate people that might not be my target audience, but they're going to look at me. And while we should have a common goal, they're being helped, you know, there's being helping the homeless and you, mine being control the pen. We should have a common goal though, uh, of, you know, helping people or like whatever that I'm going to alienate them so much that they're going to turn against me as well. You know what I'm saying? Like, how do you, how do you figure that out? Or do we just live totally different lives? Well, first of all, I want to go back to what you just said a minute ago, where you were talking about being Elon Musk. Like, dude, you be you, because I'm telling you right now, like whatever Elon Musk has, like you've got something special going on, bro, that you're going to be able to do amazing things that he would not be able to ever touch. You know what I'm saying? So like, first of all, I just wanted to tell you that because 
I think that's one of those concepts of thinking that we have to become like someone else, right? Right. I agree. Like, with I that. love documentaries on older history type stuff. So Leonardo da Vinci, Benjamin Franklin, Alexander the Great. I love watching these. It's Sun Tzu. I just watched one on the Art of War. Man, it was sick. It was just so good. But like, I look at those guys, and I think in the past I always wanted to be those guys. Now I'm trying. I just learn from them, you know. And I remember one day I was sitting in bed. This was back way before I ever had any kind of influence or anything. But I remember I quotes were always something when I was about your age that I was always like just infatuated with. I love yeah. Them. Yeah. And I was like, man, I'm going to leave the world a quote by Corey Huddleston. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't quite understand how that whole concept. Yeah, was. yeah, 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 yeah. So like uh, I remember sitting in bed and I was like, I am not going to bed until I, I write a quote that's going to be remembered. You know, and so I'm sitting. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> And I remember writing a bunch down and then I remember like it just came to me and I wrote down this quote that just came to me in my head and I was like, oh, this is it, dude. And so that quote was, do not exist solely to stand in the tall shadows of great men, but stand in the light of God and he will cast your shadow for you. You know, so that being like, dude, I used to read all these books of these greats, dude, mm. and I was trying to be them, you know, and I, but I realized like, again, I feel like God showed me like, dude, those are great people to learn from and to become discipled by. But like, if you really want to experience life and freedom, I need you to step out yeah. and I need you to put your eyes on me. And dude, when we do that, now we are literally face like to face with the light. You know what I'm saying? And our own yeah. shadow gets cast now. So that brings me around to that second part of your question. Yes. Like, dude, we are, we have our own silos. So it's not that I'm out relentlessly trying like some dictator to control the pen and everybody better rule. Like, right, I'm gonna right. crush you. It is, dude, I understand how messaging and narrative and all of this stuff works. I've been in marketing long enough. I've worked with enough people, you know, um, I've watched enough Josh 40 videos, you know, <laughs> to understand dude, that like, <laughs> Hey dude, like if we want to move people, then you've got to understand like how to tell that story. Right. Yeah. And here's the reality is the founding fathers of America would be nothing more than terrorists had the British won. They controlled the pen. You know what I'm saying? Uh, same thing with the, the uh, civil war, you know, like if the, the South South would have won, like, dude, then the North would have been nothing but a bunch of coward, you know, or whatever, you know? So, I mean, it, the winners write history, dude, period. That's just the way it's going to be. And it will always be that way. And throughout history, we've seen a lot of that. These great people like, dude, George Washington, he was actually a great man. But what's funny about it is his whole mouth was like rotted out except for like two teeth, dude. You know what I'm saying? Like, so we think of these guys as like stately, you know, standing <laughs> by the fireplace and all this kind of stuff, but they were like run down dudes, you know? <laughs> you know, so uh, this is what I'm talking about. And I think, you know, I want people to grasp it because I don't want them to think I'm some kind of tyrannical leader over here trying to, you know, like Hitler right. trying to do this. but. But in, in a way, you know, I wonder how much of that there is to learn from in a lot of ways, because it's like, but we, we should also, while we're trying to be the man with the pen, we need to recognize that with great response, it's a great responsibility to have that kind of authority. Yeah. Right. And that is a matter of ethics and character and all the other things. Right. And so. I don't think people, I don't think people quite understand um, the responsibility that comes with leadership. No. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's one thing to like, I think everybody, every man needs to lead their family, right? I think sure. that, that is, I think that is, that is a, an inherent thing that I think that is probably outside of your personal relationship with God. I think that 
a man leading his family is probably one of his greatest, if not his greatest responsibility. Right. Um, I think, and I think that everybody's capable of that, but above and beyond that, like when you step out of that and you start to go lead people, like we can all be leaders, but like, there's a lot of responsibility when you have influence. And like, that's just been something that has become so apparent to me. Like, dude, people listen to what I say, you know what I mean? And I'm like, whoa. And I I went to, um, funnel hacking live last year for, you know, a day at the beginning and also Steve Larson's event uh, offer mine. Dude, like at those two events, I probably had 200 people come up and take pictures with me. Wow. And I was like, whoa, like, you know what I mean? And like the realization of that responsibility of like, whoa, like you got to actually think about what you say. I didn't think about what I said when I first got started. You know what I mean? Like I was like, what's getting views and what's getting likes? Like that's what was important. And now I'm like, okay, I actually have to think through this or whatever. And I don't think people understand that level of responsibility because, and I think that kids like me don't understand it because of social media and because the fact that everybody's now a social media model or a social media influencer, like it's not inherently difficult. I know for some people that are out there, they're like, yeah, it is like, it's not inherently difficult to get a hundred thousand or 200,000 followers on the internet. Like it's really not right. Like, and I have friends that have millions. Well, I'm not there yet. So I don't but, even know. But, but, but yeah. your market is a much more, and this sounds derogatory. Oh, so like, don't take it out of the day. Like a hundred of your true followers, is like equal to probably 10 or 20,000 of just some random follower, you know, of some, you know, Instagram influencer that's 18 years old, right? There's a yeah. lot more influence in there. But like what I'm saying is, is like, people, I don't think people understand that. And because it's not inherently difficult to get a couple hundred thousand followers on the internet of 16 year old kids, right? Like the Logan Paul has 20 million followers, right? And I'm, yeah. I'm one of them, right? Like, yeah. that's hard to do. But like at the same time, like the level of responsibility that goes with it, because it happens in a year, people, I think, forget that. And I'm like, ah. Like, well, you got to be aware when you say things and, and the positions that you put yourself in, we're all leaders in a certain extent, but the bigger your audience, the more responsibility that you have. And I always go back to the verse in the Bible that like it's for pastors, but I think it's true for all leaders. Like, you know, that you're going to be judged twice as much or seven times as much. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you leaders are, so you got to be responsible for that. And I don't think people really understand the power of leadership and the responsibility of leadership that goes into that. You know what I mean? Sure, dude. Well, and here's what I'm thinking. As you're saying all that, man, like that could be a really interesting product for you uh, as you're continuing down this path because you do have a lot of influence with influencers, right? Mm. And so like, I think you could easily put together uh, a whole campaign around like helping them understand the power of influence. So it's not just about influence for influence sake, because I think what you're hitting on, dude, is actually an extremely important topic, which is it's what is driving the desire to be an influencer, mm. right? Like for me, when I'm doing what I'm doing, it's not because I want to be front and center. In fact, I freaking hate social media, to be honest with you. Like I do, I, I can't stand getting on there and seeing people with the same crap all the time. I mean, in the responses, like I love one-on-one interaction way more than I like social media. I like, I agree. Yeah. I pretty much use social media as a way to test how people react to stuff, you know? And then I'm like, you know, it's more scientific for me whenever I'm doing that. But, uh, and then sometimes just to go get people, like I, I actually use it to sharpen my sword, man. I'm not going <laughs> to. <that. laughs> I see that. I see yeah. that for sure. Yeah, no. So, uh, 
but the reality is relationships are everything, dude. Mm. Everything. It's the most important thing, man, whenever it comes down to it. And how we view relationships, and we see this now like in all kinds of businesses and a lot of the guys inside of Funnel Hacker or whatever else, a lot of the reasons people don't find success in whatever it is they're working on is because it's all about them. Yeah. And how much money are they going to make? What's in it for me? How much time am I going to have to give towards this? Instead of like, dude, what are you doing? Like, what is the thing you're providing for these people? And where is it coming from? Because if it's not legit, like the men inside of my group, I legitimately love them. Like yeah, I, I, yeah. I think about them. I pray for them. You know, I call, I will randomly call these guys inside a messenger or whatever else just to see how they're doing, you know, and if I can bring them into consulting or coaching or something, that's cool. If not like, dude, I'm right there. Like, okay, let's figure out how to get you to the next level because dude, that's what I was put on this earth to do. Yeah. And I it agree. came from dude, all of the heartache. And this is what I had to learn the hard way. Well, not the hard way. I guess it just takes time is like with your brother and the things that you're walking through right now. Life is not some singular boom, straight and narrow, dude, A to B. And here we go. Like it's full of all kinds of twists and turns. And it's all throughout nature, dude. If you look at a tree, like it goes where it needs to go, man, to become like self-sustainable and all this. And so like, I think we've got to stop looking at everything in life as being it is this and it's that like this right, is a singular answer. Up. Yeah. Because dude, like I learned from watching you, like when you, I saw that your brother passed away, dude, my heart like literally broke. But I also inside of that, I got to see more of who you are and your character, dude, mm. because of how you handled the scenario and you used it as a, 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 a position to lead versus like falling in. And I can't, I'm sure you hit some stages of depression and we all do. Like I have man, I've hit stages of depression, you know, and different things because dude, I push so hard onto things. And I think a lot of times, like, especially when you work hard, like I know you work hard, hard, you know? So dude, when you don't have the ability to get out and go do and just experience life and taste a perfect orange, dude, or to stare at the sun as it's going down and to, you know, have the breeze of the ocean coming across or the simple, like silent voice of one of your closest friends telling you a joke that only you two get, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is life. And this is really like what we're doing all of this for. Yeah. Right. Like who cares if you have a million dollars in the bank and a Ferrari in the driveway? I mean, cool, but like, who gives a crap? Nobody cares. Nobody that matters cares about that. Yeah. You know, like if you want to go drive, like I've just, I always wanted a Ferrari and now, I mean, more of my dream car is like a 69 Roadrunner, you know, flat black, you know, with black wheels and all that kind of stuff. But like with that in mind, like, dude, um, what is life, dude? And the simple things. And like, that's the thing with me is I'm more of a strategist in a lot of ways. I, I study war strategy. I study business strategy and marketing strategy, people strategy. I love figuring out how to make things move in little incremental ways. And like, how do we go through and kind of punch people in the face and have them beg for more, you know, like that's kind of really like what drives me. Um, but I also, think that like kind of what you were talking about is those things that uh, like your, your brother or my past has made me who I am today and has really become the catalyst for wisdom and grace become, I know it's become your catalyst for think different theory. I know it has. Mm. It's obvious as I'll get out, dude. And so it never would have happened. And so God's plan, dude, and it's perfect and it doesn't always make sense. And sometimes it hurts like hell. You know what I'm saying? It really does. But when we look at things, like we're only on this earth for a, such a small amount of time, dude, like go all in, you know, like that really yeah. is what 
like i want people to taste life and stop acting like a bunch of dummies dude you know what i'm saying like just go all in like men stand up and lead dude and not because it's gonna you're gonna be the guy on the back of the horse like alexander the great but because dude you have so much influence inside of your family like tend your own garden first and then start going out into the communities and become dude volunteer uh go get plugged into politics like go meet with people on a regular basis who don't believe what you believe i do all the damn time that's why i speak so powerfully in what i say it's not coming from some ignorant position dude i literally take the time to meet with people all the time to pour into them especially i think what you said there about difference of opinions too that's something i'm really big on i mean i just did the whole interview with julie stoyan who you know clearly we you know differ on things there and i I think that that's super super important i think perspective and seeing the other side of the issue is important while still knowing what you believe and that you should change what you believe as facts prove otherwise but you should stay true to what you believe for as long as there are facts to back that up and you shouldn't let opinion or emotion or anything like that change your belief just because you're trying to impress someone else or you know it's feel good or convenient at the time you know what i mean yeah well that and then too going back you said this at the very beginning about the whole um the privilege thing you know and i'm not going to go too down deep that i know you've talked about it before but i really do want to hit on that because i I, that's one of those things that bugs the living dog out of me and not because i don't believe that privilege exists whatever that actually is yeah but people are missed it's the wrong conversation to have right to be having because it goes back to like what i just talked about with your brother or with my past you know and things that have have become my reality now i could have taken all of that and just let it become my reality you could have let that become your reality and drifted off into who knows what you know or whatever else but instead it's learning how to take all those things and let it mold you and uh shift you into this new reality of who you're supposed to become so what if it wasn't the thing that held you down but the very catalyst that you needed to become the man or the woman that God has designed you to be. And I think that you make a super important point there when you say, I think it's the wrong question in conversation to be having. Um, there's no doubt that privilege, and I'm not, I'm not even going to skin color privilege, just privilege in general it, it exists in this world and in this country. Um, and that, you know, there, there is obviously great uh, differences in how people grow up and, and what's there. But at the end of the day, like, I, I think we need to look at human nature as a whole. I think we need to look at how the world is designed as a whole, because while we might not like the fact that there is suffering in the world, I, I don't think there's anybody that's like, yeah, you know, suffering's awesome. No. Okay. Like very, very, very few minute people. That is a reality, right? Like, sin is in this world, we are a fallen people. And so we have to look at that for what it is and go, okay, we can't just go and be like, here is the singular solution. White privilege sucks, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, well, that's, that's, not, that's not a solution, right? Like that's, that's might be how you feel, right? But like, right. that's not the reality of what it is. And, and one could very much argue over in other countries, I could go over to Africa and be like, black privilege, right? Like, you know, you look over all there. So like when you look at nature and human nature and things as a whole, I think that you have to go back to what you said with being the source of things, right? Which I'm super big on as well and go, okay, like does the fact that there is inequality and injustice in America suck? Yes. 
is it a surface level problem? No. I mean, this has been rooted. And if you go back and look at the Bible, I mean, this has been rooted back for hundreds, if not thousands and thousands of years. Right. So like, it's not a solution that we're going to be able to fix in, in one decade or with by passing one law or, you know what I mean? And so I think when we look at that, I believe, and I've been, and I'm curious to know your thoughts on this, and we are running a little short on time, so I'm not going to spend too much time on this because I do want to get to gun issues. That's one of the one, one topic that I do want to talk to you about, but like, it's hard for me. It's easy for me to say this, but I also know that I'm a huge beneficiary of social media, but I think social media has done way, way more damage to society. than I think that it has helped it. And I think that, that not, not the, the, not social media, the actual thing, like I think connecting of the world is fine, right? Like I think it's cool that we can talk to each other on the other side of the world. But the fact that we've given so many dumb people a voice and like, truth be told, there are just some dumb people that have a voice out there, right? Like, and so we've given platforms to some really bad ideas and we, we've done everything uh, with dopamine and instant gratification and the, the resulting effects of this, we're so used to being able to log into Facebook and hitting the notification button and instantly feeling good. So any other place in our life where there's pain or there's a problem, we want to be able to hit a button and get that dopamine hit and feel good. And so it's oh. easy to just go out there and be like, white people problem, black people problem, Donald Trump problem, Democrat problem. You know what I mean? Like when in reality, that's not the case. You know what I'm saying? The feedback loops and all that. I think that's really the key though, is what you're talking about is the chemical reaction that is taking place inside of the body that creates these dependencies on these things. Right. And that's, what's really feeding it. It's not rational uh, ideas or anything like that. Cause actually I don't really even mind when people come up with even outlandish opposite ideas. Although dude, there are like, legit whack jobs out there that oh, I'm like, dude, you're sure. walking the streets. Like that's beyond imagination. And right. that in and of itself goes into that next topic, right? With the gun thing. But like, yeah, the, the whole idea of like people having, um, everybody's opinions just coming at them full force. And not only that, but it's like, dude, you know, in our world, man, like when we, when you learn how to tap into like how psychology of how people buy or why they buy or how they move and all this kind of stuff, that could easily be used for nefarious reasons. Easily, it's like a superpower, dude. It's weird. It is like, and and as one thing I respect about Russell Brunson and Steve Larson so much, both is they like, you know, people think that they're saying it as like a joke or a marketing tactic when they're like, please use this for good. But like when you actually meet them, and I've been blessed to meet Russell, and I'm very good friends with Steve. Like, yeah. they're legitimate. They're like, please use this ethically because it is crazy powerful. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, it's the whole ethic and character thing. Like, and that's something that you can't really teach. And some, I mean, like I was blessed to like, you know, I've got a good friend of mine, Chad Hennings. He played for the Dallas Cowboys and he's a three-time Super Bowl champion. And I've had like men like that in my life that have impacted my life later in life. Like I had to go become the man, first of all, that would attract those types of relationships. Man. But then also like, you know, it's a two-way street, you know, there's not just like, Hey, you know, whatever. But but to see a guy like that who um, – it's funny because he's probably one of the most awarded guys out there because he flew A-10 a- Warthogs in the military and all this. And if you go into his house, he has what's called the Room of Me. <laughs> That's what he calls it because <laughs> he's got like an Outland Trophy Award. And he's got like – he's got you know, pictures of him shaking Reagan's hand and like the three Super Bowl trophies from the Dallas Cowboys and all this like medals and yeah, yeah. stuff, dude, just everywhere. But it's not like he does that. He understands like what we're talking about. Like he literally does not care about that stuff. I've put huh. on his Super Bowl rings, you know, like it's pretty cool. But 
like he's got all that stuff, but it, it's not what defines him. Right. He, that. he uses his influence to in, create impact, which is the real driver to me of a man, you know, like my tagline for wisdom, grit, building the men that build the world. Like, dude, that's a man that builds the world, dude, yeah. because of his character. And I've you know known Chad for over a decade now and other men that are just as high caliber that I, that hold me accountable in life, dude. And the relationship component going back to that, like, dude, the kind of friendships that I have now that I didn't even know you could have, to be honest with you. Yeah, so I, was I understand friend. that. Yeah. And, uh, people that are doing things and you know younger people don't get it because they don't understand how it all works but once you start hitting you know your 26 27 28 29 30s dude and people start getting promoted in life and you start realizing that hey bob that i used to hang out with is now a senator or now this because that's just what happens you know depending on the circles you're in but it's like why not go for those types of relationships yeah someone's going for it yeah yeah, yeah. And that's been one of the most profound things I've noticed as I've gotten older is like, dude, guys that I were just like, were good people that I knew had high character. And I've had a lot of influence in their lives too. Cause I ran for city council here locally a few years back. And like, you know, I understand like there's a whole brotherhood that comes with running for an office even dude, because of the sheer pressure of doing something like that. First of all, of coming up against your own limiting beliefs about, crap who am i you know yeah no kidding i mean everything that's going on and then not only that but now you got all these people reaching out to you all these media people wanting to do interviews and you got people reaching out to you going like oh yeah well what if you're a bible bumper bible banger this and that i mean they don't know anything about you but right right and you're getting just blown up by them and then you go and you're debating and i didn't really know how to debate at the first time you know and so i'm going against my well yeah because you ran for city council yeah yeah and then I did that the first time and it was in like a liberal woman's group thing. But I went to the deal and like, I, I was like scared to death. Cause I was like, Oh, they're going to freaking rape me against the cruel, the coals dude. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. It actually wasn't that bad. But what I learned a valuable lesson, by the way, and that, that your audience could probably take was like, whenever somebody would answer the question, cause there was not only my opponent, but there was two other people running for a different seat and they would ask the singular question and all of us would have to answer it. And usually one of those would answer it first. And I'd be like, that was actually exactly what I was going to say. And then kind of that. And this buddy of mine was in the audience and he called me afterwards. And he goes, don't you ever do that again. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? dude? And he goes, I don't care if everybody on there said it verbatim, how you would say it. You say it as if it was the first time they've ever heard it in their lives. And I was like, dude, and I started doing that, bro. It changed the game entirely. And that mm. was and even still to some degree, that's a hard thing for me in business because uh, I tend to like, if I believe a certain way or whatever else, and in, in my space, like if there's somebody else that's like a, an opponent, if they say something, I'm like, well, crap. Now, the, now like, I can't say it. Right. Yeah. No, I do that all the time. I'm like, dang it, Steve. Dang it, Russell. Dang, ah! Like I'll prepare a whole presentation and then Steve will do it. I'm like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, Where am I anymore? I don't even know. You know like, I'm not as smart as I thought I was. <laughs> Okay, um, I gotta, we got to get to the topic of guns before we run out of time here, okay? Um, outside of maybe vaccines, this is, and I would, I would venture to say probably more so than vaccines, this is probably the most touchy subject in America right now. Um, for context, I grew up probably as pro-gun as you can possibly imagine. I drove a pickup truck with a camouflage interior with a seven inch lift kit with 
two rifle and shotgun racks in the back with an American flag and don't tread on me hanging out the back. Okay. Like <laughs> I wore, I mean, like I, like I wore t-shirts. That's like, I believe in gun control use two hands. Okay. Like, sure. like as, as hillbilly country pro gun as I you've ever imagined. And in this county, in the city, that, or I guess in the country where I grew up in, right? I grew up in, you know, northern Indiana uh, during this time. Like, gun crime was not a thing. Everybody had guns. Yeah. Like, they were everywhere. Like, you know, you'd go into Walmart and they'd be on people's hips, right? Like, it was just like a thing, right? Like, and no gun crime ever, right? And so the thought of controlling your guns, like, I was like, dude, like we'll mow you down, right? Like, I don't think people and and to your to a lot of the and I'm gonna let you state your thoughts here. Don't worry, but I got to bring context around my belief on this because I really struggle with this. Um, like, I know buddies of mine, like my personal friends and like instructors that had like rooms full of guns and ammunition, like tens of thousands of rounds of ammunition, hundreds or at least dozens of guns and like everything you can think of, and no crime, right? Like everybody was happy. Every person I talked to preached heavy gun safety and training. And like, that's what they were there for. Right. Like it, And so this concept of gun control, I was like, you honestly think you can come take these guns? Like these guys would literally die before, like they will die before they give you their guns. Like you will have to shoot them. It's not like you will take them to jail. They will kill you unless you kill them first, like before you take them. So for me, like that was just a normal thing. And then I moved out. And then I went around and, you know, by my own admission, um, I've become a little less hard, right? Like maybe a little softer um, because I've seen more of the world and because I have lived in cities and, and gone around and, and talked to people that have been involved with gun, gun violence and things of that nature. Um, here's my question for you. And, and feel free to bring context around this. Feel free to tell people, you know, your backstory, your gun, things or whatever. I am very pro-gun. I believe in the second amendment. I believe that we should not have the right to be in like that guns should never be taken away. I strongly disagree with any, any Republican or Democrat on either side of the aisle that says you should take them away. But I get why someone that has lived in a city that had the school next to them shot up or that hears gun crime is bad their whole life that has never grown up around guns and the only people that they know that have guns are gang members or drug dealers or they have no context or no concept of how you, well, I assume you, but for sure me grew up with guns and how we presented them and, and, and did that. And unfortunately, I believe based on the studies and, and I'm pretty well versed on this, I'm not I wouldn't say that I'm the all, and I'll be all expert, but I would say that there is a large more, a number of people, more so than people like you and I, that have no context of guns and that grew up in a city where guns were bad. And so I look at that and I go, you have violent, violent video games, which I think are a huge, huge problem in this. Um, lack of fathers and, and leadership in the household. Uh, how, like, how do you deal with that? And, and what's your stance on, on guns? So you bring up some important points there because their perspective of it, does that mean that we should kind of 
secede to that, right? To their ignorance of the situation, right? Like that's the question, right? And it comes okay. back again to who do we want to be? Because here's, I was telling my son this the other day, he's seven years old and I'm really trying to equip him and my daughter, she's three, she doesn't quite get it all yet, but, but as leader and he is like, and they will be. But I was telling him that, dude, like think of laws and rules for the most part. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful here to no, law enforcement or anything like that. They are all in place mainly because of the lowest common denominator. Yep, like I agree. Exist because there are just some stupid ass people out there, period. Yep, yep, yep. Right, so uh, it's the same thing as like if this person, that this theoretical person that you're talking about grows up in the city and all the people that have guns are gang members and all this. First of all, I guarantee you those gang members don't have those legally. And if they do, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, so that's the first point of order. Right. But that's right. Like, right. Uh, the, uh, the whole other component of that is like, if they're not willing to go out and get an understanding of that, like when they're, I don't necessarily believe that it's more, I think it's just the louder amount of people because most people don't want everybody else knowing they have guns. Not everybody's well, like your buddy too, you know? So. I, I, I agree that the people that complain about it are a much louder uh, minority, but I'm saying that there are millions and millions of people that live in New York City, Chicago, Miami, Los Angeles, you know, and, and the bigger cities that have no concept of the guns like you and I do. They might not be yeah. anti it or pro it, but I'm yeah. saying like they would be like, yeah, I'll yeah. give up my guns, no problem, because they don't understand like the concept like you and I do. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, they're willing to do it because it's just sitting in their closet anyway and they don't see the right. whole point of it. But the reality is, is we've seen this before in history, man. And this is why, like, I think, you know, there's that old saying that uh, those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. Yeah. Like, there, I don't know that there is actually a more true statement out there. Uh, yeah, I would agree. And when people don't take the time to go back and understand like anytime that a government has wanted to take the guns and most people will use like com countries like Australia or whatever else, uh, those are all relatively new that that's happened to, you know, and okay, good. So you have a leader now that doesn't want to do anything bad with that, but you're only one election away from some dictator who wants to come in there and knows that you can't freaking protect yourself yep, or I your agree. people. Like you are totally relying on human uh, goodness, which, I, you know, I don't necessarily think is like as profound as most people want to believe. You know, I think that they're all falling. You can almost tempt anybody to go the wrong way in a certain situation. And yeah. Character is not something that was really looked at. So uh, I don't see guns as like a thing where I'm sitting there going like, come on, Beto, come get my guns. I'm all not right. You know, all right. doing that. But I guarantee you, like, if that happens. Like, dude, I will do whatever it takes to make sure that that doesn't. And I know yeah. I'm very plugged in with a lot of people uh, in high ranking positions that will do that exact same thing. And I, uh, yeah, same, right. Yeah. I guess my question is, how does one, and, and I get there are, I, I hate the fact that this is the case, but there are, this is going to hurt me someday if I ever want to run for office, delusional people on both sides of the aisle. Okay, I'm not even interested to say one or the other. I mean, right. I, I understand that there are, when it comes to guns, it typically tends to be more of the liberal left um, that are, oppose these things that are absolutely delusional. I'm not talking about these people. I'm talking about the average person that is like, hey, why wouldn't you give up your guns 
if it meant that you were going to save a child's life or prevent a school shooting. What, while I, I obviously don't agree with that statement because I don't think that's actually going to happen. What yeah. is your response to someone like that? That is like, why wouldn't you just like, why wouldn't you support that? Like, why wouldn't you saw your guns in half? Why wouldn't you, especially as someone like you and I that have, like, we have influence, dude. People will follow our lead. Why, why would not you say we need to take a hard stand on this, give up your guns, turn them in so that we can prevent even one life from being killed? Because I think it's an oxymoron. First of all, if they want to protect the lives of kids, they should start with abortion. First of all, like, that's a whole <laughs> separate segment. I understand. I'm not trying to take them down that road. Yeah. But if life were that important to them, it's it's not like I know that they want to make it about the kids because that's what um, people who try to control the narrative do. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and especially in that realm, which I think to some degree is demonic, dude, to be honest with you. But like if you go and you start looking at that, they're operating out of a spirit of fear, dude. Mm -hmm. And the spirit of fear, like I'm not going to play from a spirit of fear. I'm going to play from one of boldness. And like I want to play on the offensive. Right. So I want to maintain that. Like every, there's just as much data out there that suggests that uh, people with guns can stop those people without guns because all of these school shootings they happened in no gun zones, right? Like you're not allowed. You're supposed to have guns on there. So first of all, the dude's already breaking the law, blatantly. He does has no regard for that. Secondly, like in the movie theaters and all those things, all those places are you're not supposed to bring guns into them. So even if those people were carriers, they wouldn't have had the ability to protect themselves anyway without being held against the law, right? And probably right. being taken out by law enforcement anyway. So I think it's, you know, not an easy subject because it's a matter of you're dealing with emotion and people who only think with emotion tend to uh, not really want to care about the facts so much. It's more about that and how it makes them feel. But dude, like, this is where I think it's just a matter of getting people engaged. Like, I think we could open up, you know, maybe each city takes responsibility for that. And they start saying, hey, we want all of our city members, you're going to get a, a break on your property taxes or something like that. If you come over here and you do a gun safety class or something like that. So they start introducing and understanding, like, dude, firearms are actually a lot of fun. It's a safe, awesome sport to engage in with your kids. It's also, we want our citizens to be supported, you know, to feel like they can protect themselves. Yeah. There's the, there's the quote from um, World War II, the Japanese general guy. I'm sure you've heard it. He's like, we could never, yeah, yeah. He's like, we could never invade the mainland of America because there would be a gun barrel behind every blade of grass. Shoot. They knew that dude. 2001, there was a book written in 99. Yeah. 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 No, no, you're good. Okay, there was a book written in 99. A buddy of mine wrote this book called uh, The Secret, which uh, he's got a show now called Economic War Room. But it basically, it exposed 9-11 uh, that the Pentagon hired him to come in and write a big old project up on it. And it ended up becoming like the main thing because it was basically a big financial thing. Like they went and shorted the market with a bunch of treasury bills and then ended up making billions of dollars uh, when all of our economy collapsed, knowing that that was going to happen. But in 1999, there were three Chinese generals that were sent to the United States and they wrote a book. And I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head that basically said, Hey, a perfect scenario because we will never be able to invade. Never. We'll never be able to do it because they're just way too armed and all this kind of stuff. But if we destroy their economic system and the best way that we could see this happening is some kind of a massive terror attack on the, uh, twin towers, and the best person to do this would be 
of uh, Osama bin Laden. Dude, they called it in 99, so two, three years earlier, uh, that they had written this book. And it was for the Chinese government. It wasn't meant to go like mainstream or anything like that. But uh, so I guess what I'm getting at is like, dude, guns are kind of the last resort scenario, but it gives us the ability to protect ourselves inside of that scenario. I mean, dude, if you look at like the Revolutionary War, which gave this country freedom in the first place, we were severely underpowered against yeah. the strongest military the world had ever known in the British, you know? Yeah. When you look at that scenario, I know most people are like, dude, they'll just send a drone to take you out. And maybe they will, maybe they won't. But that's something I'm willing to die for. Yeah, yeah. I think you, you at least give yourself a fighting chance. Sure. I mean, and and when you do have the education around guns that, you know, some of these people do have, like, I don't think people, like, yes, there's the lunatics with guns. Yes, they're the maniac hillbillies that are just like, yeah, come get the guns. But like, there's also a lot, a lot of intelligent human beings that own firearms. And I would I very much argue that there are a lot more intelligent human beings than there are, you know, idiot human beings or non, just non-educated human beings. I think there's a lot more intelligent gun owners than people give credit for because in my experience with guns, in any single gun place that I have gone, um, and, and I've been you know, all over the country in different gun groups and shooting classes and things like that. I think everybody that takes guns seriously has a very, very high respect for guns. And every single gun person that I have ever talked with that sells guns, and and I would very much welcome any liberal or or anti-gun person to come, I will gladly go buy a gun with you or go to a gun store. And I think you will see that like a lot of these people take safety and security like very, very, very seriously. I mean, I went to go shooting up here just the other day and um, they wouldn't let us shoot just because I forgot. I I think I had my driver's license on me and they wanted to validate that I was like legal. And like, so like a lot of these, and I live in Omaha, like a red state, you know what I mean? Like pretty pro gun, right? So like, Um, I think that I don't think people realize like we do take gun safety, I think, really, really seriously. The issue just comes up because there is such mass information around it. And um, I, I, I agree that I think that, you know, people can be like, well, America has the most mass shootings ever. Right. Like compared to any other country right now, it has the highest crime rate, which I don't know if that's actually statistical. Dude, but, but that but, goes so much further into the psychology of that, stuff. Right yeah. there. And, and I think yeah. that like, I could, one could argue, could it be like, my, my big argument with guns is I'm like, guns have been around for a long time, right? Uh, uh, we haven't had mass shootings before. So to, to look at guns and blame the issue on guns, I could equally say, all right, what about the opioid crisis? What about the video games that encourage violence? I mean, Cody, you, you know, Cody near, um, yeah. Cody near is a very good friend of mine. I was down there at his house we were hanging out on his lake and we went inside, we turned on the Xbox. We were going to play some Madden and we were scrolling through some games, right? I don't play video games like hardly ever. Yeah. We came across this game and we turned it on. I could not believe Corey, like the absolute gory, violent, just awfulness of yeah. the game that we turned on. And like 15 and 16 year olds are playing this. And we're talking like literally the, the guys would go up and if your kids are listening to this podcast, maybe pause it for them. Right. Like, but like literally would go up and rip them apart and then their body parts would be ripped out and then they'd pull machine guns out and just like shoot them up. Like, like just insanity. And I'm like, this is the problem. And like, you can say that, Oh, Josh, you're crazy to think that video games are the problem. I'm like, I'm not single handedly pointing out video games. Just like I'm saying, don't single handedly point out guns. I'm saying there's a crazy epidemic 
problem that's happening when you have 15 and 16 year old unsupervised children. And I was in big brothers, big sisters for a while. I had a little that I would go to and we would go play games at his house. And one time he's like, Hey, do you want to play Xbox? And I'm like, sure. He's 14 years old. And he turns on like mature R rated games with language and violence. Like I have, I have never seen before. And he's 14, right? Like I'm like, I don't think guns are the issue. I think that this is the issue. And I think that we have to have a legitimate conversation about these things. And like, I'm asking you to not take away my guns. I'm not saying that I want to take away your video games or that I want to take away your access to medicine, but I'm saying we have to have a real conversation about what's actually causing things. And so many people are just not willing to have that real conversation about stuff. And it just, that's the problem I feel like. Yeah, well, the, uh, the video game thing, they've actually done studies uh, supposedly that show that video games don't have any, uh, you know, they're not actually uh, doing anything with the violence supposedly or whatever else. And I don't know how relevant that study is or whatever else, but I, I actually tend to agree more with you because I think it, it has more to do with the spirit behind all of that stuff. Right. Dude, right. It's super dark. Uh, like, you know, and it's weird, this world that we live in. And I can remember, Remember whenever uh, John Burt, or was it something, James Burt Jr., he was a 26-year-old dude over in Afghanistan or whatever when we were fighting earlier in the war when we went over and invaded after 2001. And he was like, he was a contractor, but he had been captured by Al-Qaeda and they filmed themselves decapitating him with a rusty knife. And back then, you know, like, dude, that was kind of really like we had never... right. I was jacked up. You know what I'm saying? And now it's all over the internet, you know, but, and I remember watching it because some buddies were sitting around and I just remember literally, and I wasn't even a Christian or anything then. And I watched it and I literally felt a piece of my soul die when I yeah. watched it. Like it went away. And I, like I, I just recognized, and I think that we're doing that. We're creating these environments, not only in a world where men aren't relevant or uh, they're not relevant. We've got people talking about mass. Uh, toxic masculinity and you know it's like white privilege male white privilege patriarchy all this bull crap that's used to divide and it's not creating anything but a why me scenario on the other side but then you know they're disengaging from their homes because you know the system is built around the fathers not being super relevant in the home because they're lit they're letting other people dictate like this is my call to men right now dude like in that regard is like dude if you're listening, whether you're you know young and you don't have a family yet or not, or you do, like if, first of all, if you're older and you have family and you haven't been active, it's never too late. Start now. Yeah, yeah, if you're I young, be understand the value of that. Understand the value of looking your kid in the eye and telling them you love them, and being a part of their lives and and showing them how to be men and women that will be a part of the solution long term. Uh, you know, like dude. Pay attention to what they're watching and don't like even some of the songs that are innocent on the radio, dude. Like they're not innocent. I can't yeah. remember that that chick's Eilish or something like Billy Eilish. Uh, or something. Oh my gosh, dude! What in the world? Dude? What I won't listen. Yeah. I won't listen to that song. And like my girlfriend knows that. Like and it, and don't get me wrong, it's incredibly catchy. But yeah. oh, that was a great tune, dude. What I like yeah. listen to that and I'm like, she's 16 or 17 years old. Yeah. Like what? Ah, well, dude, I was listening to it. It came on in my truck with my son and I don't hear well. So I'm like sitting there jamming out because the tune was super rad, you know, and then I come back and I looked it up on YouTube and I was like, okay, that song is out, dude. Right. 
you just you got to be paying attention because like people if you're expecting the school to teach your kid if you're expecting the radio to just provide innocent you know and whether you think innocent or not uh uh should be for your kid it should be their kids dude yeah. they're not to be weaponized for your political you know yeah or adherences or whatever else like let them grow and uh, try to be have a, at least a fighting chance and it's your job too to take time to articulate dude like yeah. our job as men like especially as fathers dude like i get mothers have a powerful job and i'm not negating that but i'm speaking to men because that's my audience yeah right no we I, have I, so I much potential for impact and we have let other people dictate out of fear like oh you're a uh you're a you know womanizer this and that or whatever it is whenever you speak for things and it's like dude you got to stop listening to the chihuahuas tell you how to be a man like that's done and if they back you into a corner kick them in the face dude like i mean it's that simple like don't let other people dictate how you are going to live your life know who you are know who you are and that means go get your butt handed to you a few times out on the street like it's okay to get knocked to the ground as long as you get back up with a right. crazy smile on your right. face and a crazy look in your eye and 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 i would I would venture to, or I would also add to that. And I think that you would probably agree, but feel free to disagree. Um, do all of that w with as much love as possible when, when possible, right? Like you're out your enemies to everyone always yeah. like, like, All yes, th there is, there is always there's exceptions, right? Like there are times yeah. when it can't be done in love. And yeah. when there are times when you absolutely just need to stand up and my dad is a manly, manly man, like yeah. my dad's instructions to us when he, you know, first thing was if someone comes on the property, you tell them to leave. If they don't leave, kill them. Right. Like, yeah. like that, you know, and obviously like, you know, context there around it, but like, you know you. What I mean? so mm -hmm. like this, but like there's, you have to lead with love and you have to lead with saying like, Hey, back off because I'm leading here and you do that. And then if your kids are watching, you know, and I will give my dad credit where credit's due. Like there were times when he would be a man and he would get into someone's face and he would put them in their place. But as soon as that was done, he would then turn around to us and say, listen, the reason I did that was not because I wanted to do that. But the reason I did that is because I had to stand up. I had to be a man. I had to lead. And because I love you, I am protecting you. And I was not going to let any, you know, that person hurt you. So like, there's a place to be the man, but you're not like, and, and stand up and, and be kick the person in the face. Yeah. Like there's a time for that. But only when it's time for that. Yeah. No, I think you got to definitely have some reserve, you know what I mean? Resolve there. Like the big thing, dude, is like, I'm not saying to go out there and just be like a jerk and start, you know, reacting emotionally to everything. That's exactly what I hate. Like, even when I put stuff out there, I do it to make people think. Yeah. And if they have the capacity to think, they're going to appreciate what I'm saying, what, no matter what side of the road they're on. Cause I have people that believe all kinds of ways inside of the group and I don't push necessarily my christian agenda but i'm not going to hide from the fact that i'm a christian yeah, yeah. i'm the same way i was created to be and it took me a long time to learn that yeah like you think oh i have to be this persona so that the world no, you don't yeah no i agree because that's really what i appreciate like if you and i were hanging out all the time like i would love you for you and like the time you challenged me on something i said or whatever else like dude you know how many people won't do that in a in a way that's like respectable or whatever else but so to me, I, I know that at that point, I've got somebody in my life that I can trust. Yeah. No, and that to me is way bigger than having somebody that just likes everything that I say and do. And they want to, it's gross, you know, but yeah. I think also you got to speak with authority and sometimes you got to be willing to go out there, like running for office, bro. Like with politics, you think that you've got to go speak to a state representative, like 
sir, I want to just encourage you to do this. Like sometimes you've got to put the camera in their face and be like, I know what you voted for that. And that took me a long time to get because I was right. like, that's not the kind of man I want to be. Right. But the more I got, I've been in this game for a while now, dude. And I've, I've been in on a lot of campaigns and different things like that. And there are people, dude, that will say anything to get elected. Anything, yeah. Mm. And it's like, dude, you've got, like, they are accountable to you. And when yeah. you understand that, the the realm of authority, most people think that the presidency goes like this and he's up there at the top, just, you know, like up there flipping off everybody else that's down below him. And we're just down there to be like, you know, right. next to him. now take that pyramid and flip it upside down. And that's how this all works. And that's the pressure. Every capacity. Yeah. Yeah. I would so agree. local state. And the problem is like, nobody wants to get in politics, involved in politics because they think it's gross or whatever else. But, but it's kind of like when you walk into a uh, roach infested apartment, dude, and you go in there and flip on the light. They scatter like crazy. So you got to go in there and be the light, man. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Corey, I, I want to get to, uh, we're way over time, but I, it's, it's been a great <laughs> conversation. Um, I, I want to end with one final statement, then I want to move to rapid fire questions. And I just want to reaffirm it and say something that, that you had said there uh, about fathers, uh, specifically men right now, we're, I think we're, we're geared towards more right now, um, and loving your children. Um, my my parents were not perfect, right? Like financially, I mean, like I, I didn't learn a lot, like financial stuff from them that, you know, that, and, you know, we had our struggles. However, the single greatest gift that my parents gave me, especially my dad, was the fact that I knew without a shadow of a shadow of a shadow of a doubt that my dad loved me. Yeah. And that no matter what I did in life, no matter how badly I messed up, no matter what it was, that to this day, I can still go back to him and I can be like, dad, here's what's going on. And I know that he was not going to judge me and that he was going to love me for it. And I can't go into details you know, of it you know, for, for personal reasons and you know, privacy reasons or whatever, but like, I've been through some ridiculous crap since my brother died with some things that have gone on. And like stuff that should not have to happen to anyone at all, but like, especially not after your brother dies. Yeah. And I know that like I can go back and I've gotten mad at my dad and we've yelled at each other and like we do. But at the end of the day, there is such a mutual respect and I respect and honor my father. And I know that he loves me. And at the end of the day, no matter what he says, no matter what he does, he wants what's best for me and that he loves me. That gift right there is so far greater than any amount of money that he could have given me, any amount of business or financial advice that he could have given me, any amount of wanting to be cool or experience, like that gift of knowing that I was loved by both of my parents and equally, you know, my mom, I believe that, you know, to, to be true with her, has equipped me so well. And I believe that the reason that I have been able to go out there and take ridiculous risks and see the bottom, like I've seen... I don't, I mean, I haven't been in poverty. I haven't been homeless, but like I've been pretty daggone broke and beaten down and like where everybody was against me. Like I've had my own family members tell me to go to hell and that they hope God explicit, explicit to me across the face, right? Like, so like, and extended family members. But the reason that I've been able to continue is because my dad and my mom were so adamant of the fact that they loved me for who I was. And that as long as I just kept going and I didn't quit, and even if I did quit, they were going to love me, but like that they would yeah. be there for me. And so I, I want to commend you for saying that. And for those people that are listening right now that, you know, that have kids or that are thinking about having kids, like that is your responsibility. And that will 
carry your children so much further in life than I think you can possibly realize and understand. So I just wanted to kind of commend you on that, but, and also just- Identity is given by the father, dude. Like, so, I mean, regardless in culture, in our families and all this kind of stuff and all that you just said about your father, dude, it it pales in comparison to the love of God, right? And I mean, that's what I really want people to understand is when we understand like our identity and humanity comes from us here on this earth as men kind of doing what we do and leading in a proper way. And like, that's what we've been lacking, I think, culturally. When we understand what God did for us, dude, and we get our identity from him, who does he say that we are? I spent a good majority of my life wondering why I was even on this planet, dude. And at 35 years old, I heard specifically, you're a builder. You're a builder of people. You're a builder of ideas and a builder of things. And that literally years before I started Wisdom and Grit, like it became the precedent for everything inside Wisdom and Grit because I understood I was no longer looking for my identity to be poised in like I'm a businessman or I succeeded in sports or just all this bull crap that really doesn't matter. Right. Like my purpose on this planet is to build people, build ideas and to build things like tangible things with my hands. So as long as I'm doing that, I am in my place, dude. I love it. I love it. How old are you? I am 41. 41 now. And yeah. uh, before we were to wrap up our questions, where can people learn more about you? We're going to link all this below, but where can people go and uh, learn more about what you do? Yeah. So Corey Huddleston on, on Facebook, and then I've got Wisdom and Grit. You can go to wisdomandgrit.com forward slash community. If you're a guy, I've got about 900 men inside of a closed group in there. We have a lot of good questions uh, and answers and conversations and uh, um, a lot of great men already plugged in inside of there. Um, and that's the big, big thing I'm on, you know, everything wisdom and grit. Like, so if you wanted to go follow YouTube, wisdom and grit, we'll link it down below guys, but check Corey out. Corey is someone that, uh, we met, like I said, about a year, year and a half ago now, I think it's been, uh, at James Smiley's event. And I kind of knew who you were before that, but, um, I met you and you have a very, very unique voice, right? Uh, you know, very deep and whatnot. So I, I, that stood out, but, uh, someone that I have a tremendous amount of respect for. So, uh, we'll link all that down below, but wisdom and grit, Corey Huddleston. Um, all right. Let's move to rapid fire questions real quick. These are more lighthearted and then we end with kind of a deep one here. Um, first and foremost, uh, what is your favorite airline to fly on? That's a hard one, man. I would say uh, the one that I was in when we went to, to Alaska. Uh, <laughs> we were on a float plane, flew out to the middle of the Alaskan bush. So it wasn't an airline. It was more of a private plane, but that was the best. Everything else there is like American Airlines probably. Okay, maybe you don't really care. Okay. Uh yeah. I think you mentioned it, but tell us again, your dream car. 69 Roadrunner. 69 Roadrunner. Tricked out in any way or original or flat black. No, just like blacked out wheels, blacked out interior, fastest crap, you know. So. All right. 69 Roadrunner. Sounds good. Um like bucket list item that you want to do before you die. Uh space has always been at the top, you know, for that, for sure. I, I usually tend to go after my stuff. Um, but I think like hiking Kilimanjaro would be pretty sweet. I Ooh, think that would be cool. Year, so, yeah, or this year coming up. So. Oh man. Well, if you do it in like, not this year, but like next year, like 2021, um, let me know. I might want to do it with you. That's like, yeah. something that we're, we're getting ready. I think to go I'm going to do trip, a group but... of dudes to go do it. So that'd be, that'd be awesome. That'd be yeah. super, super cool. Yeah. I'll have to get in better shape than I am now, but, uh, that, <laughs> that'd be super, super cool. All right, man. Um, last question for you. And this is one that we, we ask everybody that comes on the podcast and does the interview. Um, fast forward to the end of your life, you're on your deathbed and all of your impact, money, success, everything is gone. Like nobody knows who you are. Yeah. Um, but everybody that you've 
touched and influenced either directly or indirectly, you get to leave them with one final message or piece of advice. What is that message? Don't ever let anybody define you and know that you already have everything inside of you that you need to get whatever you want in this life. But you have to know what it is and you have to go all in to get it. Like nobody's going to hand it to you and it's nobody's duty to hand it to you, you know? Mm. So it's like, dude, just believe in yourself and go. Like that's the biggest thing. I love that. All right, guys. Well, Corey, thank you so much for coming out here. That was great. It was long, but it was good. I appreciate your time. Fun, man. Thank yeah. you. I, you have an awesome thing going here, man. I'm honored to be a part of it. Anything I can do to help you moving forward, you just let me know, dude. I'm here for you. So absolutely, man. I appreciate that. Well, uh, um, you can drop this out to your people when uh, it comes out. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll stay in touch for sure. Corey Huddleston, everybody, thank you so much for coming on, my man. Um, guys, as always, hustle, hustle. God bless. Do not be afraid to think different. Because that's what we as free thinkers do. We think different, we do it different, we see the world differently, and we take action differently than most people will, and therefore we get to live the lives and have the impact that most people won't. I love you all, and I will see you on the next episode. Thank you, Corey. Take it easy, fam. Peace. Yo, what's up, guys? You've been listening to the Think Different Theory with myself, Josh Forty, which I like to call a new paradigm of thinking. And real quick, I got a question for you. Did you like this episode? If you did, I want to ask a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread this message of positivity and making the world a better place is if you leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the podcast. What that does is it basically tells the platforms that this is out on, that you like my stuff, and that I'm doing something right. So if you could take like three seconds out of your day and subscribe, leave a rating and a review, I would be forever grateful for you. Also, I want to hear from you. I want to know your feedback, your ideas and your questions for future episodes. So be sure to hit me up on Instagram in the DM at Josh 40 or via email contact at thinkdifferenttheory.com.